morning to you. This is the day the Lord has made. We do rejoice. We are glad in it. Amen. So way, way back in Genesis, second chapter, the Lord takes his own hands, the dirt of the earth that he has created, and he forms and he shapes the one called man. And he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. Scripture says that that man then became a living being. And God speaks to the man and he tells him how he's going to take care of him and what his responsibilities are. And when he has done all of that, he commands the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. Some of you will say, well, the talk about death was over a week ago. I would contend with you again today that every time we gather in some way and in some manner it is about dying. Because unless we understand the dying part we really can't understand and celebrate and give thanks for the resurrection part. Amen? Those are together. They're always together. Now, when you're young, death seems so, so, so far away. But when you turn 72 going on to 73, and you can begin to see it there on the horizon, things change a little bit, amen? And then you have those nasty little reports from the doctor bad enough that the body doesn't move like it used to move. You can't run like you used to run. You can't jump like you used to jump. You can't do exercising like you used to do exercising. But now, no, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, Shields, you have a cancer. Or the other doctor who says, Shields, you have an aneurysm. And all of a sudden, one begins to think a little more about what that dying stuff is all about. Don't know where the cancer is. It's presumably not there, but the doctor can't guarantee it. The cardiologist says, well, it's a small aneurysm. Maybe small to him, but I don't care how small it is to me, it's huge. And the notion of dying becomes much, much more real. He commanded Adam. To not eat, or he would surely die. And what did Adam do? He ate, and so we surely die. It's not a matter of if we are going to die, but when. And that 
sisters and brothers, can over time begin to work on us. It can, in some instances, even paralyze us. I had a mother-in-law who would never fly on an airplane because she was absolutely certain that if she got on that airplane, that airplane would go down. Wasn't so concerned for her. I was concerned for the 127 others who were on the plane with her. Or she, she would come to a gathering like Christmas Day. And if there were 13 table settings at the table, she would pick up one of those settings and go to another room with it. So that she would not sit at a table with 13 individuals because if she did that, the bolt of lightning were going to begin to come down. Sisters and brothers, that's paralysis, and that's an extreme case. But paralysis can happen to any of us in any time and in any place. Ponder that for a moment as we enter into a word of prayer. Come now, Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts and our minds with your presence, with your wisdom guidance and direction. Give us ears that open up to hear, hearts that are made ready to receive, that we might accept the challenges in our life that comes to you us through your word, as well as the encouragement and love that is also there for us when we are in times of stress and distress. Be with this one too. Your vessel in this message today, your word through him. Don't leave him to himself. For if left to himself, we will certainly bring it all to destruction. This I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And together we say, Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, peace from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are in to the Gospel of St. John today, the 19th chapter. If you want to find that in the Bibles in front of you, I would encourage you to do so. It begins with verse 19. In verse 19, John writes and he says, on the evening of that day, that would be the first day of the week, the same day that Jesus was raised up, a Sunday in the evening, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Lord, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, The doors are locked. I I have this picture in my mind of not just a lock, but a chain. And not just a chain, but a very thick board running across there. I can see my wife's hutch 
pushed up against that door to make absolutely sure that nobody can come in. Why? Out of fear. Fear. Fear that the same thing that had come upon their leader and master, Jesus of Nazareth, might also come upon them, and they, like him, might also die. Jesus is raised up, and the disciples are hiding in a room, fearful of dying. Fearful of dying. And Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. This is the first of three offerings of peace. Peace be with you. It can be a a general greeting, shalom, which happens with the Jewish community all the time. But here it is clear that the intent of the peace, among other things, is to quell the fear, to get them out of their paralysis, to call them back into the faith that he had worked over three years to lay upon them, a faith that was obviously lost at this point because he, after all, was what? Gone. But he wasn't gone. He was just away for a little while. And now he's back in this room. And he said to them, peace be with you. Stop shaking. Stop huddling in the corners. Stop holding on to one another and shaking like leaves. Stand up and be men. And if you're wondering this is really happening to you check out my hands see my side see the the, the first thing that had to happen with the disciples it's the first thing that has to happen with us also is that we have to be brought into a living relationship with our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ There needs to be this communion together, bonding one with the other so that that we have the strength and the will to stand up against those attacks that will and do come upon us. To bear the name of Christ is to... Bear those attacks. Now, we've had it pretty easy. I've had it very easy most of my life. No one has ever questioned me about my faith. But I'm telling you, sister, the brother, the days are coming. When that can happen more and more and more and will. Because this world does not believe. The church is no longer the church. It's just another social organization in many quarters. And within it and outside of it, 
folks are listening to anybody and everything other than the one who proclaims to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I stand before you today, prayerful that the Spirit is speaking to you through me to let you know and remind you there's no time for hiding in rooms. There's no time for shaking in the boots. We need to take Jesus at his word. I bring you peace, reunification with the Father. The one who was angry and was wrathful has had that squelched and put asunder through my death and by my resurrection. Now you can come to him. Child comes to his father or his mother and be blessed with the love that is poured out and care and concern for the one who desperately needs to have that one in their lives. The episode goes along. Again, second time, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's clear something up here first of all. I do not have the power to forgive your sins. If I was to say that I have the power to forgive your sins, I am arrogant. Because only God can forgive sins. Jesus forgave sins, and that was one of the reasons why they crucified him. Because only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, you're just another human being that came out of Nazareth. No, Jesus was God, but I am not God. So what does this verse mean? This verse means that I have the power to proclaim to you that God has forgiven you your sins. I also have the power to call someone who is in disbelief to repentance with the understanding that if they do not repent, God will not forgive their sins. There is no forgiveness of sins without repentance. Amen? We must turn from our evil ways We must look upon the face of Almighty God, get down on our knees and say, God, I have sinned grievously in thought, in word, and deed. I am a corrupt, I am a condemned creature. I deserve nothing from you, but thank you, God, that you would forgive me anyway. It is our job as believers saved by the blood of Jesus it is our job to call people to faith to tell those who do believe and to remind them that if they will but just confess their sin that sin is forgiven that's all they gotta do they don't have to do anything else 
They don't have to come to church every Sunday. It's not like God is up there with a book and has my name and a little mark each time I've been in church, and if I don't get enough of those marks, somehow I'm in trouble. It doesn't work that way. What God sees in heaven is a cross on my forehead, born out of my baptism. I have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is sufficient to believe. You don't believe, John writes, quoting Jesus in chapter 3, you are condemned already. That's what the verse means. And so the relationship that is with God extends to the relationship that we have with one another, the need to be there for each other, the need to love each other as Christ loved us. That new commandment that he gave to us is a commandment of love born out of his sacrifice and resurrection and our believing in him. There is no greater love than what Jesus showed us on the cross. Amen? No greater love. I can love somebody by providing them with a meal. I can love somebody by driving them to the doctor. But if they don't know about Jesus, I'm missing the boat with them. Because no amount of bread, no amount of trips to the doctor is going to save them. The only thing that saves them is being called into this living relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So peace for a relationship with God, peace for a relationship with God with one another. We're moving to the three P's. Ever see that advertisement on television? I think Trevec used to do that. The three P's. What are the three P's? Price, price, and price. Remember that? Trying to sell insurance? Well, I'm, I'm selling a form of insurance. A lot better than that piece of paper. And I have some of those for this world. But this world is about this much of what the rest is. So my insurance is in Jesus. Your insurance is in Jesus. Our insurance and the insurance of our families and of our friends and of our neighbors and our co-workers and those who come to clean our pool or we meet when we go to the grocery store. The insurance for them is the same. It is Jesus, Jesus alone. So now we come down to verse 24. Are you with me? All right. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand inside, into his side, I will, and this is a strong word, I will never. Know what it says? You got your Bibles open? Does it say never? I will never believe. My mama taught me you never say never. Because 
The moment you do that, you're in a world of hurt. You're in a world of hurt. Thomas was in a world of hurt. I will never believe. So eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. This is an interesting little thing. Although the doors were locked, they're not getting it yet, are they? I mean, they've been given the Spirit, right? They've been encouraged by Jesus in Jesus' presence, and still they're locking the doors Still, for what? Fear of the Jews. Now, just an aside here. Peter was crucified upside down in 66 AD under the leadership of Caesar Nero. Nero was nasty. Nero was nasty. And he crucified Peter upside down. That same year in in Rome, Nero had Paul beheaded, decapitated, in the same way that John the Baptist had been decapitated. Every one of the disciples, save one, John, underwent a horrific death in the proclamation of the word regarding the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every one of them. At some point, the paralysis left them. Amen? And with confidence, they went to their death. If they were confident enough to go to their death on this word, I ought to be also. And I'm probably not going to be decapitated. Thomas, I will never believe him. Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be with you. That's number three. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Master and sovereign of the universe. That's the declaration. It's the first time, the only time in scripture where that exact language is used, where Jesus is called God. No, he's called Christ. He's called Messiah. He's called a lot of things. But this is the only place where Jesus is referred to as God. And he is God. Because if he's not God, then we are still in our sin. And if we are still in our sin, then we are, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are the most of those to be pitied. The most of those to be pitied. Why? Because we have believed a lie. But it's not a lie. It is the truth. God's truth For God's people, he is God. And by his death and by his resurrection, we have everlasting life. 
doesn't say that Thomas put his hand where Jesus said he could do it. Didn't have to. Just seeing it was enough to move from disbelief to belief. My Lord and my God. What's Jesus' response? Do you say this, Thomas, because you have seen and now believe? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That was for the future. Jesus knew that there would be tens of thousands of millions who would come after, who would never see him in the way that Thomas and the 11, the 10, saw him. No one else ever have that happen to them. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Peace for you. Peace for me. We no longer need to be afraid. We are not outside of the kingdom. We are inside of the kingdom. And so it doesn't matter if our muscles don't work like they used to, if our bones are crickety and ache day and night, if we have been diagnosed with a cancer or with an aneurysm. It doesn't matter. We are inside the kingdom. And when you are inside the kingdom, God reigns. And when God reigns, there is peace. There is peace. Peace with him, peace with one another, peace for a bright and wonderful, beautiful future. A future that is everlasting. Adam did us a nasty. But Jesus Jesus cleaned up his mess. And now we can live in hope. In the blessed assurance of what will come. So these things I'd like you to remember. Number one, sin can no longer have you. It can work on you. It can create problems for you. It can make a mess of your life in a lot of ways, but it cannot have you. Because the wages of that sin, which would have been death, have been overcome through the death and resurrection of Jesus. You can lay your head on the pillow tonight in confidence that if your eyes close and don't open up here, they will open in heaven's place. And there's nothing more beautiful of a thought than that. Amen? There just isn't. It's the blessing of blessings. It's what we live here for. Not to stay here, not to be stuck here, not to be paralyzed here, 
But they freed from all of that. And when the trumpet blows and he descends in all of his glory, and he reaches down his hand and he says, Shields, take hold, I'm bringing you home. That's what it's all about. That's what the last six, seven weeks has been about. Dying so that we can live. Sacrificed so that we can be forgiven. The door is open unto eternal life. Number one, remember that. Number two, You read to you. Again, from 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin cannot hold us. Death cannot keep us. The wages of sin is death, but thanks be to God, we have the victory over that death. And then lastly, the power of the devil. Would you agree with me that he's kind of sort of pretty much running amok right now? Huh? I mean, is, 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 is he everywhere in everything? I, refu- I, 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 I refer to Putin as his minion because he is. He, Putin is the devil's minion. He is evil personified in our world today. But his days are marked, not just Putin's, but also the devil's. Those days are marked. They are coming to an end. You hear me? They're coming to the end. Satan is a fraud. He is an emperor in sheep's clothing. Scripture calls him that he is the liar of liars. That's all he is. He couldn't tell you the truth if he was paid trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars for it. He couldn't tell you the truth. He doesn't know what truth is about. And it's sort of like some in our country today don't know what truth is about but spew the lies for their own purpose and their own gain the people of God 
shall not think more highly of themselves, but think of always think of others first. The devil says, no, 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 forget them. It's all about you. That's how what got us in this fix in the first place. Oh, he doesn't care if you eat the fruit. You'll be just like him. Boulder dash. But he's a fraud. An emperor in sheep's clothing. And he will come down. This is the word, if I can find it as I marked it. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Paul's closing remarks in Romans. He says to the people, and listen to this closely, the peace, that word again, that peace of God will crush, will crush Satan under your The peace of God will crush Satan under your feet. Now, that's a day to look forward to, huh? That's a day to look forward to. That is the promise of God's word to us. His days are limited. The day will come when by the peace of God, he will be crushed under our feet and will be thrown in the lake of fire with all of those who have followed him. That's the promise of the word of God. And we stand on that word. Understanding. And confident. That it will not touch us. Because we have Jesus. On our side. Amen. May the peace of God which passes all human understanding guard and keep your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. Amen.